0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Philly's Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, and I'm joined by Philly's director, fun and games, the lovely John Brazier. We're coming to you from the Richie Ashburn broadcast booth at beautiful Citizens Bank Park. And, uh, John, how you doing? I've never been called lovely, so I guess I'm doing lovely. The vivacious. How's that? I like that, too. That's
1: very good. Use of a polysyllabic word there, Tom.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> hey, exciting show today, John. We have Mike Demuzio, uh, director of ballpark operations here, basically in charge of everything that goes on at this facility legendary dude in the uh, Phillies' front office. Mike
1: is one of the longtime uh, employees that have been here for since the se- early 70s. And the, the, Mike is kind of like the Renaissance man of the Phillies. We thought that Video Dan was, but Video just has the Renaissance stories. Mike DiMuzio, uh was, and we'll get into this, he was really the ground crew. He was a merchandise guy. He's security guy. I mean, he's done a lot of facets uh, in the. He's had a lot of facets in in the Philadelphia Phillies organization, and uh, he's got like a lot of guests we've had previously. He's got tons of stories. And I cannot wait to get into that.
0: Yeah, tons of stories and just seen it all, you know. From seen it all, all, like you said, for all aspects of the organization. He's seen it all and uh, some great stories. Mike's a great guy and a great family lineage here uh, at the ball, at the with the Phillies. You know, uh, he's had his mom and dad working here, his brothers. Uh, pretty fascinating, uh, fascinating story. Great guy. We're happy to have him. And it's it made me think, John, because uh, I had an interesting week last week. I went to uh, Houston with the Philly fanatic you traveled with a fanatic. Yeah, it was uh, Orbit their mascot's birthday party and just like the Fanatic, you know, usually invites some mascots and uh now,
1: how and many how many birthday parties does a Fanatic uh, do you go to every mascot? You can't get every mascot's birthday. No, and right? not
0: every team does it. To me it's a no-brainer for a team to have a promotion based right. around the mascot. It's a birthday, but not every team does it. So um, in a given season, how many
1: mascot birthdays do you go to?
0: Uh, with the Fanatic of course. Yeah, usually uh it, it, you know, we went through a drought. It seems like there were a few years the Fanatic wasn't getting invited. I don't know. He wasn't really? on anybody's invite list. So. <laughs> <laughs> so he got a couple invites this year. He jumped all over it. You know, the, so. friar? the Friar, does the Friar have a birthday? Uh, the Friar does. I don't know if they do a birthday for the Friar. Fred Byrne? I don't know. Billy uh, the Marlin? Billy the Marlin has had a birthday. Mr. Mett? I've never been down there. You know, some of the guys have them. Wally? I, what are you going to name every mascot? <laughs> top of the head. <laughs> what,
1: what am I. I, d- I d- my, you know, my favorite is, is the Swinging Friar.
0: Yeah, he's he's uh, the Fred Flintstone lookalike. <laughs> yes, I love the swinging Fred. <laughs> and he's, yeah, great mascot. But uh, but it was cool. But it made me think, and it was a fun party. You know, the Fanatic, they sing Happy Birthday to Orbit. We, uh, you know, they did some things in the crowd. The Fanatic saw, was I, part of Kiss Cam. It was I saw a fun. video
1: of that, and actually the Fanatic was a little freaked out because they did a little
0: fire. <laughs> yeah. And the Fanatic came out, and, I, and did the Fanatic know there was going to be fire? No. They, were, they had pyro, <laughs> and the <laughs> Fanatic gets introduced. Next thing you know, there are two <laughs> shots of fireworks going off uh, next to him, and it, It startled him a little bit. Yeah, but it was cool. It was uh, the ESPN game of the week, and so I think the fanatic got a little, uh, you know, uh, FaceTime on ESPN, which you know does nothing other than just to increase his ego even more. You know, he's got a big head, John.
1: Well, because the fanatic, when he goes to these birthday parties, there's happening mascots like. 10 to 12 yeah, mascots. Yeah, about a dozen guys. Right, yep. but you are the, the most famous mascot, right? Well, it's kind of like being George Clooney at the royal wedding,
0: right? <laughs> right? Yeah, everybody's paying attention to Amal and George and not the bride and groom. Is that what you're saying? I guess. <laughs> right. Maybe Serena. She was there
1: too, I think, right?
0: Yeah, but it's, well, you know what's cool about uh, mascots in general? When you go to uh, that person's, you know, that mascot's town, it's kind of his town. You know, right. I mean, a lot of love for the mascots in each town that you go to. The Probably gets a little bit more of the national pub for whatever reason, but uh, so it was a good time but I, it made me think of that ballpark I've been to that ballpark before. Have you ever been to I have uh, yep. the minute maiden you got in the Houston. train, yeah, you had that train going by, and I you know we sit here and we do this broadcast from uh, the, you know the radio booth here, looking out at the stadium and I just love our ballpark, and maybe I'm biased, but it's also very – it's just very pure. When it comes to the game on the field, it's its not gimmicky. Right. You know, sometimes – and, you know, you've been to other ballparks. Houston's ballpark is very gimmicky, you know. It's just um, – Well, yeah, they had that towel hill, right? Which yeah, is they kind got of rid of, of that. Oh, they did. Okay, they did good. get rid of that hill That was going to That was going
1: to ruin some people's careers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Very strange. Uh, yeah, you ha- they have the the train out there. It's just the layout's a little different. Um, you know, the room roof i'm not an in are you an indoor no but i guess in
1: houston you almost have to it's so humid there and they have the you know thunderstorms and
0: yeah but i'm walking over to the ballpark it's like 82 degrees it's a four o'clock start so you know it's going to get a little nicer it's not going to be the you know middle of the day in houston and they had the roof closed it's like come on you want to have open air like in the world series
1: it was horrible going down to tampa and being an indoor stadium for the world series you just you can't do that
0: Yeah, I I agree. I agree. So, I don't know. Do you have favorite ballparks, John? I I do tend to go old school. I love, of course, you know, Wrigley and uh, Fenway. I I, I put in two
1: categories when people ask me this question, and I'm sure you and I get it a lot. Uh, I say two different categories. So you've got Wrigley and Fenway, of which I went to a Wrigley game this year, a day game, and there's nothing better, there's no better Americana moment than going to a day game at Wrigley. So you got Wrigley and Fenway in their own separate island, and then if you're going to compare the new ones, um, I'd have to, and, and you're probably going to... Uh, agree with this but i think san francisco mm-hmm. just the location san francisco is such a great town itself you can walk from you know the team usually stays in union square somewhere you can walk down to the ballpark right on the water uh pittsburgh pittsburgh's uh, ballpark is absolutely fantastic i'd put those two and i do like seattle i, I went out to seattle one time and i really like that one so yeah. and then, then you know what but you also have the old when you're talking nothing fancy no gimmicky right. Camden Yards. Camden Yards holds mm. up after all these years. Totally agree. And again, there's nothing fancy about it. And same thing with the Dodger Stadium. Dodger Stadium is an old stadium. There's nothing fancy. It's old, old, old. But the palm trees and just the view and just being out in L.A. is is a good one as well.
0: Yeah, there's just so many different types of ballparks now. I mean, I, and I know probably our listeners out there, John, and you know, there are people out there who have made it. Uh, you know, every summer I hear from people all the time. Oh yeah, you know, we make it a, a thing every summer. I take my kids and we go to a different ballpark, and uh, it's just cool nowadays with these new-ish ballparks, you know, the variety. It's, it's great. And the towns. You get to visit the towns. So I always love going to a few uh, every year. So we had, I had a good week as well because we had
1: something very interesting. We've done this now for, I believe, four years. Uh, we had the Eagles batting practice challenge. So it's always fun. We've done this with the Flyers as well. Uh, we're going to have to it with the Sixers at some point. We've done it with the Orlando Magic when Jameer Nelson was here. But uh, just the other day, we had uh, the Eagles draft picks and Doug Peterson. So it was a lot of fun. They came down here. Uh, the, my my favorite guy on the team. I hope he makes the team um, is the Australian rugby player Jordan M- Malata. I think his name is Malata. He looks like Andre the Giant. He is huge. <laughs> He's six foot eight, three hundred and sixty uh-huh. pounds, and just like any Australian I've ever met, they all have this you know this great personality, yeah. uh, big personality. So uh, he was he was joking around afterwards. He he grabbed uh, Jamie Apodis. Uh, ABC Mike stand and started interviewing Doug Peterson. So it came down to all the, you know, there was, there was Josh uh, Adams, who's a uh, free agent running back, who's a local kid, uh, went played at Notre Dame, then all the different draft picks. And so we had a little, you know, we had a point system, like they do in home run hitting contests. And it was great because Jordan was the, the Australian who'd never picked up a bat, was the leader into the clubhouse. Wow. Up to the very end. And Doug Peterson went last, as he should, right? And Doug Peterson tied it up on his second-to-last ball. And then on the last ball, to to add a little drama, he won it all. And it was really funny. We presented him – Reese Hoskins presented him with a bat that said Philadelphia Eagles 2018 champion. Uh, When I made the original bat – I sent it down to the store. They they spelled it E-A-G-E-L-S. Oh, right? no. And I went down there. I said, do you guys not hear that chant? <laughs> yeah. We hear it every day in the stands. Right. You know, how many times have you said E-A-G-E? You don't hear E-L-S, right? <laughs> so, uh, But it was funny because he, uh, again, uh, Doug Peterson showed the bat. And I got to tell you, you, know, these poor players, because they're going to hear it from coach. Oh, yeah.
0: Every day in practice. Was he the only guy to reach the warning track? Did you say there he were did. no home yeah, runs? Yeah, he did.
1: There's no home runs. Uh, Doug Peterson did hit the warning track, which is pretty impressive, and it was off of a hitting machine.
0: Yeah, I mean Doug Peterson. We were talking to him last uh, week that he threw a great pitch, obviously in opening day. Yep. He's hitting. I mean, what kind of background does he have as far as he, other obviously, sports? Obviously, I mean, well, if I you're a
1: quarterback, so. if you're yeah, the yeah, quarterback, yeah. you're basically the, that means yeah. you're the shortstop in baseball, and you're the True. you know probably the center or the or the you know tall guard in 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 high school, so you can tell, obviously, he's a tremendous athlete. Now, some we've had a lot of guys come down here. Now, we're, that's the good side of batting practice. We've had a lot of guys that haven't been good down here. One of my favorite stories is if you remember this long time ago. This is probably like the mid 90s. Stone Cold Steve Austin wanted to take batting practice, so he comes down. about And usually, when we do this with celebrities, we do it about three o'clock because pitchers and our guys usually come out and just stretch around quarter four or four o'clock. We don't want to obviously interfere with. Um, you know our, our current team, so they, again, this is back of the vet mid mid 90s. St- Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out, and he comes with a WW uh, at the time WWE right, or no, it's WWE now WWF cameras. Yeah, you're asking
0: the, the wrong guy. The, they're there. gonna they're
1: gonna videotape this a show yeah. on their their TV show on Saturday morning. So Stone Cold comes out here. I go into the uh, clubhouse. I said Terry, because Terry Francona was gonna throw to him. He said, Hey John, can you um. Why don't you go out and throw it to him? I'm going to be about 10 minutes. Just start warming him up, and I'll come out and uh, eventually do it. I said, no problem. So I'm in my khakis and polo shirt. I go out there, and, again, it's just me, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and a TV camera. Well, all the players start getting word that Stone Cold Steve Austin is taking BP. And this he's huge at this time. I Didn't mean, we send out a press release, or
0: this we was might. just going to be under uh, the radar kind no, of thing? No, I think
1: it was an under the radar. Okay. Right. So next thing you know, we're playing the Orioles. So the Orioles all start coming out in the dugout. Our guys start coming out in the dugout. I'm pitching, and all I remember is Will Clark was playing for the Royals, and Will Clark didn't have a great reputation. And Will Clark yells out, "Hey, buddy, why don't you throw a little harder?" You know, with a little, little more expletives thrown in there. So I'm looking at him like, "Oh, god!" Yeah. And so I wind up and I try to throw as hard as I can, which is probably like 60 miles an hour, and. I guess I lost a little bit on the grip, and Stone Cold Steve Austin could barely get around the ball anyway. But it went right at his head. He pulled back; it didn't hit him, obviously. He pulled back, and he started running at me with the bat in his hand. <laughs> so, what do you do in that situation? I'm not going to stick around to wait to see if he's hey, kidding or not. You, 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 I ran like a schoolgirl uh, into the right field. No you didn't. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, yes, yes I, I did. And he ran towards me. <laughs> well, the camera shot all this, so then obviously he was kidding. I stopped. And, you know, and then we, I guess, well, for the camera, you know, we were we were talking about a thing. Well, the next week it was shown on that Saturday morning. My nephew is eight years old, living in <laughs> Dallas, Texas. A huge wrestling fan, he's watching TV. He sees his uncle Johnny, <laughs> you know, uncle throwing Johnny. to his his idol, Steve uncle Steve Austin, <laughs> and then he sees his idol, you know, chasing heading his, his uncle, hills. Right, right, <laughs> <laughs> heading towards the hills. But uh, but it's fun. We have guys. You know, we've had Dwight Howard taking BP. Yep. Jameer Nelson was. We mentioned him. Was very very good. Mm-hmm. We had some flyers. Um, and I love the guys that are foreign, that didn't grow up in a baseball culture. Um, uh, timonen for the uh, Flyers, he never picked up a bat. Mm. Unbelievable. So, you know, again, these guys, if they're professional athletes, their hand eye is just off the charts. Uh, Not
0: always, though, because you would think some guy's like a Dwight Howard or something. Like he was terrible, He right? didn't know whether he was right-handed or left-handed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He switched up a couple times. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, you know who was bad? All right, so same thing. Uh, back in the 90s, we had a batting practice challenge amongst all the athletes. So we had Rod Brindamore, and we had Eric Allen. Well, remember the whole story that Sean Bradley was a you know played baseball? He was a very good baseball player. Uh, uh, uh. I got to tell you. Because we're all, I'm telling everybody, oh, he's going to win. My money's on Sean Bradley. Because uh, I guess we had read that he was a very good baseball don't player. Don't tell me he was a complete flop.
0: <laughs> he was awful. Yeah. Sorry, Sean, if you're listening, but, <laughs> but it wasn't. But well, ah, well, uh, don't get me started with Sean Bradley. That 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 draft pick just. That that's the one that, <laughs> that sticks in my crawl, John. I can't believe you just. We're gonna ha- We might have to go for a break. Uh, Rob Brooks, uh, our engineer. Bradley, Bradley Cooper
1: was pretty good. So we've had some good and we've had some bad. Mostly mostly right. bad.
0: Yeah, Bradley I, oh, Cooper. That's right. I oh, and how Bradley about the Coop guy? Daughter. Sorry.
1: Speaking of bad, probably the worst. Just to get Sean Bradley off the hook, the worst batting practice guy we've ever had was two years ago when we had the guy from Game of Thrones who I think just was named the strongest man he was in the world
0: yeah yeah I totally remember that because the fanatic has kind of a Games of Thrones outfit and the Fnatic went out there just for the photo op and this guy I, the Fnatic doesn't watch Game of Thrones so he didn't know what was going on but this guy comes what over what was his name again I totally forget I have no idea but he picked up the Fnatic Ma- Mountain. Mountain? Mountain 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 man or, Mountain eh, something I, I'm not sure but, right. uh, but you're saying yeah he was built like a brick house, but he couldn't swing well, a bat. Well, first of all, I think
1: the guy's from Iceland, <laughs> so
0: he, didn't, oh, right, he right. didn't come from a baseball background. Yeah, Second yeah. of all, he, just like Stone
1: Cold Steve Austin, his muscles are so big, he couldn't, right, right. He couldn't get around. He didn't really yeah. understand yeah. it. And the bat looked like a twig yeah, a in his bat. hands. He used to pick, pick teeth. Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there you go. Uh, there's some good ones. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, Mike Demuzio just walked in, John, so uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with the great Mike Demuzio. Celebrate 90s style and music at the Phillies' 1990s Retro Night. Wear your shoulder pads and skinny ties and take lots of selfies Friday, June 8th at 7.05 against the Brewers. Tickets and more info at phillies.com. And we are back to Phillies Backstage. And, John, we are joined by very famous Demuzio.
1: Well, I tell you what, we so... I figured for preparation for our next guest, I would uh, talk to Dave Raymond because our next guest has been around for the Phillies since you know way back when. And Dave Raymond called me up yesterday during the game. He's all excited. He said, I am so excited. I'm so excited that you're going to have uh, my buddy Tommy Demuzio on the, on the radio because I've got tons of stories. And I said, uh, actually, it's not Tommy DiMuzio. It's Mike DiMuzio. And I find that then, then after I, you know, when, he, when I told him that, he said, I got to tell you, Tommy DiMuzio was the greatest quarterback. Obviously, his dad was Tubby Raymond, Coach Delaware. How many great quarterbacks were there? Mark Bruner, you had uh, your boy. Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon from from St. St. Joe's Prep. Prep. You had Joe Flacco. Tubby Raymond would say that... Tommy DeMuzio was the greatest quarterback he's ever coached. And again, there's a lot of. Any, yeah, I think of, uh, Mike said our next guest said that his brother was the uh, small uh, All-American right below Terry Bradshaw. Wow. How about that? So let's so let's bring on not Tommy DeMuzio. <laughs> let's let's bring on let's bring on. Was that a little deflated? Let's yeah, bring yeah, on Mike a, DeMuzio. This is a horrible introduction. <laughs> Here's the
2: lesser, the, lesser, the, the lesser of the lesser DiMuzios. Well, there are actually six DeMuzio boys, so. Even though I'm third in order, I'm probably sixth in the importance of the DeMuzio <laughs> boys. So, the talent? Uh, it's Tommy and Teddy and then Mark, Danny, and David, and I'm at the bottom, even though I fit in third in the pecking order.
0: How many of the DeMuzios have drawn a check from the Philadelphia Phillies?
2: T- uh, oh, geez, like five? Um, how many of the six boys? How many of the six boys? boys. Well,
0: guys, was gonna say you include the
1: family, the yeah, mom and dad. We know t-
2: Six boys and mom and dad, eight. So everybody, so everybody, eight for eight. at Is one that time right? or another worked for the Phillies. That's when wow. uh, family was allowed to work together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if there were people that you wanted to work with, why not choose your family, if indeed they were qualified to do the job? And uh, fortunately, two of them, I guess people think, are still qualified. Two of the brothers, and, and three being myself, because three of us are still here.
0: Who was the first one to like? How did you? How did you start, Mike? Like, uh, who was the first? guy to get a job here
2: <laughs> well tom uh started at connie mack stadium uh oh. through ruley and keith carpenter as uh, doing as, what? as members of the university of delaware they would look for part-time positions for some of their uh players uh really being a big supporter of university of delaware so tom uh started up as a um as basically an intern for Tom Hudson, God rest his soul, Uh, and they would take the excursion trips up to Harrisburg uh, when they had those, and Tom would go up, my brother Tom would go up with Tom Hudson and distribute the tickets on the train for those people who came down on weekend games. Um, Tom started, I then put an application in, I grew up here in South Philly and put an application in when I was in high school, as the Phillies were moving from Connie Mack to Veterans Stadium. Uh, I don't know if it was the application or the fact that the Phillies came to Bishop Newman High School where I went and we're looking for a bunch of young guys to help the older groundskeepers who were moving from Connie Mack to change bases and put the tarp on at Veteran Stadium. And I was one of the first 16 of the original junior ground crew. Um, and after a year, there were two of us left. We then decided to go to West Catholic and see if there were people who wanted to hang around from West Catholic. Uh, because all the guys in South Philly wanted to go to the down ashore. That's what their summers were. Let's go <laughs> right. down ashore. So. Well
1: let's talk about the ground crew because again the Crown Crew back at the vet, which you were part of the original crew, uh, it was really it was obviously turf. So tell tell us about what that job entailed, but also you guys almost became had a cult following in the sense that you know you had a you had a uh, strong relationship with the players much more than today's game, right? And you guys had a lot of interaction even during the game with players, including our man Froggy. Uh,
2: yeah, there was there was much more I think much more interaction. First of all, our ground crew room was eventually located next to the Phillies clubhouse, so we were directly attached to the clubhouse players used to go out the back way of the clubhouse through the ground crew room uh, and players used to quote unquote hide from other people in the ground crew room so we got to meet the players uh, up close and personal um, a bunch of young guys who were sowing their wild oats at that time froggy and myself and uh, Gary Tinney got rest his soul and we kind of hung around as a trio the three of us and uh, met some interesting players, met some other players. Caldwell Jones from the Sixers, you were talking about basketball. When CJ first came in town, there used to be the Hilton across the street, which is now the Holiday Inn, which is now coming down. We met CJ in the lobby there. His, the first night he was in town. Um, and Gary, who w- wouldn't be afraid to walk up to anybody and introduce himself, uh, introduced himself to CJ and the three of us with C- along with CJ, kind of hung around for the first couple of weeks that he was in town. And Gary took us up to one of the bars that he used to hang out and work out up in Manyunk And uh, so we got to meet some interesting people as a, as a threesome. I mean, But even Allen. like Dick Allen, you guys had a strong relationship with Dick Allen. <laughs> Dick Allen became and still is to me my closest uh, ball player friend, if I can say that. Uh, Dick was um, incredibly interested in in. The guys on the ground crew, uh, from a personal standpoint, he got to know my mom and dad when they worked here, Uh, and when they passed away, Dick flew in from California for both of their funerals. So that's something special to me, and and Dick will always be special to me. Um, And again, we got froggy myself and gary got really close with dick when he was here we uh when we traded for him and got him from the chicago white Sox, when he came back in the early 70s we went up to his house for the weekend to help him move back in up in percosy so uh spent a lot of hours with dick and with tony taylor and guys like that and uh they remember that when they come in town they uh first thing they do is want to stop and say hello and you know, maybe have a uh, soft drink or two.
1: Was there any rumor to the fact that one of the um, ground crew members, or maybe several, uh, would moon uh, players during the games? <laughs> uh, I can't tell any tales out of school.
0: <laughs> the froggy um, stories. That's that's a whole different uh, that's a whole different topic. Yeah, this you is know. a
2: family show, so <laughs> yes, it I'll keep it clean. And
1: <laughs> well, how about this one? Uh, All-Star Game, 1996, right at the uh, at the Vet. Um, Kelsey Grammer, why don't you tell that story? Because Kelsey Grammer had a special relationship with the ground crew at, at that time.
2: Yeah, Kelsey Grammer came in. As a matter of fact, one of the guys on the ground crew, Jeff Wright, uh, could probably be a, uh, uh, a twin brother of Kelsey Grammer, they look alike. And uh, they got together for a photo, and then they just got to know Kelsey a little bit. Closer while he was there. And And he uh, was there to
1: sing the National Anthem, correct?
2: Correct. And Kelsey came in and the same thing, had a couple soft drinks with the guys in the uh, ground crew room, signed the wall that we used to have in there where they got all the celebrities to sign the wall. And uh, Kelsey spent some time in with the ground crew. There were a lot of players and celebrities who got to know that the ground crew back then was uh, a bunch of different characters. uh, And they went into the ground crew room and uh, it was believe it or not, an honor for some of the players to come in and say, I want to sign the wall. I've heard about this wall. It's a wall that Gary started. And we had the wall on the left, as you looked at it, was all Phillies celebrities. And the wall on the right was all the, uh, I'm sorry, the opposite way. The wall on the left was all the out of town celebrities uh, and names that you know, just people as popular as could be, and Gary was able to get him in and sign the wall. And
1: but but Kelsey was calling, right? That during the All-Star game, he wasn't in the stands watching the game. He was hanging out with the ground crew, and wasn't he like calling? Calling Calling moms. all the moms yeah. of the, the ground, ground crew. Right.
2: He, he, <laughs> 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 he was. Again, it was he was here to do one job, and he did his job. And then where am I going to spend the game? And let me just hang with these guys. That's great. And and it was, you know, you, your phone rings at home and way before cell phones so your house phone rings at home and hey mom hold on I got somebody wants to talk to you and who would believe that it's Kelsey Grammer calling you to say hi and uh, right yeah and it's they're, they're the kind of annex that those guys used to pull all the time I mean
0: you know we uh talk about I know for me one of the exciting parts of being with the Phillies over time has been our move from the vet into Citizens Bank Park it was like you know to be Part of just that transition. So for you back then, when when you moved into the vet, you know I gotta think like the kids in the neighborhood. Now I know you lived a little further out, but you know how cool is it? Like they're building a stadium in South Philadelphia. It's gonna be Veteran Stadium. It's gonna have astroturf. I can't imagine how you must have been so pumped. It was. You know, to, I was to, one of the most popular
2: kids in the, the <laughs> yeah, neighborhood. Exactly. I, I used to grab every broken bat that I could. I used to have a wash tub full of. Way back when, I'm giving my age away when you had washtubs. I used to have a washtub full of broken bats because nobody ever wanted them, and I'm collecting them all, and I'm giving them to everybody in the neighborhood. And then Nice. One day, Mom said, you know, what are you going to do with these broken bats? They're just getting in the way. And I ended up giving them all away, and, uh, you know, I kick myself now. I, I don't collect any souvenirs. I don't collect any items, and with all the authentication stuff, I probably threw away my re- retirement funds by doing that. (laughs) Uh, But as a 16 or 17 year old kid who started out and, uh, you know, in high school, my last year of high school, it was the greatest thing in the world. I mean, I get to live everybody's dream. And for 48 years now, I've been Live in my dream and everybody else's dream.
1: Awesome. Now, one of, the, one of the things I used to do with Mike, and I think you did too, Tom, was back at the vet, <clears throat> you had Mage McDonald, the great Mage McDonald. Mage was a uh, longtime coach, played at Villanova, was a longtime coach for the Wiz Kids. And then he ended up becoming an ambassador, went down to fantasy camp, was just an icon in the Phillies organization. But at lunchtime, I remember this because I just started working for the Phillies, and I thought this was the coolest thing. At lunchtime, Mage, who's probably in his 80s at this time, Mage would come out with a fungo bat, and we'd have about seven, eight guys lined up in right corner uh, at lunchtime, right corner of um, of the field and one by one someone would run out towards center field mage would hit a perfect fungo bat so you'd have to run and catch it and sometimes hopefully against the wall then you'd throw it back and the next guy runs and sure. and you work your way all around the you know the outfield and back the other way uh mike that was that was awesome who
2: who could have a workout like that and who wouldn't want a work out like that you're on a major league baseball field uh one uh you know and every kid wanted to do that and then two, you got a guy like Mage, who's had a long history, had a long history with the Phillies. That's hitting you fungos, and he would do it. And it and it wasn't just catching fly balls, as you said. It was a workout. So you start in right field, and you go to right center, then you go to center field, then you go to left field corner, and he's hitting you three different fungos. And then coming back, he may have you run three quarters of the way before he hits the fungo. And as you said, he would hit perfect fungo fly balls, whereas. There were times you had to jump against the wall, and I still think I have a torn rotator cuff <laughs> because of one that I jumped against the wall and caught the pad the wrong way and didn't catch the ball, unfortunately. <laughs> I have stitches in my head to prove at <laughs> the time that I fell in the bullpen when it was wet and we were out there running. So, Did you ever um, see
1: Mage play in the Villanova alumni games?
2: I, I saw Mage play. We used to have a basketball league downstairs at the vet. We used to have a three-on-three league with all the office people. We had a uh, net set up near the batting cage and uh mage was the last of well i shouldn't say the last because jackie Shore, one of the members of the media is the last of the set shot yep. shooters mm-hmm. uh you know when mage jumped you couldn't throw a credit card under his feet <laughs> uh but a great assist man and a great shooter uh i watched him at the villanova alumni games he was somebody that people went to see because oh, yeah. people don't remember the set shot and uh Mage showed him how it was done.
1: Well, oh, I'd love it because you'd have Dwayne McLean, you'd have Pannon, you'd have all these like you know famous guys, you know that were <laughs> that were still running back and forth. Then you had Mage with his socks all the way up to his <laughs> knees, and he had that, and, he, and he's again, he's in his 70s, 80s, and they'd throw in the ball and he'd do that set shot, and the crowd would go completely nuts.
2: <laughs> Mage was one of a kind. He and, was. Uh, we still tell Mage's. Uh, obviously, as you know, you still tell Mage's stories every day because there's nothing that happens here at the Phillies that that doesn't somehow go back to Mage.
1: Plus, he had the great lines, of course. He said, "Uh, Mage, did you go to the dentist today? He said, yeah, what did the dentist say? He said, well, I said, what do I do about my yellow teeth? He said, wear a brown tie. Wear a brown tie? (laughs) He said, said, how many languages do you speak? He said, two, fain and profane, right? He said, what's his nationality? He said, I'm half scotch, half soda, right? He's got it all.
2: uh, I was fortunate enough to share an office with Mage for 12 years because Mage kind of moved out of the community relations office Uh, And Mage, at one time, I helped give tours of the ballpark because they thought that somebody in stadium operations knew the vet better than anybody else, so I would give tours along with Mage, so we would do the grade school and the adult tours that we did. And uh, somebody at one time figured it's probably better that Mage... Be near me, even though he wasn't in ballpark operations or stadium operations at the time. So Mage and I shared an office for 12 years, and they were some of the greatest (laughs) times that I've ever had. I may have heard his baseball stories 800 times, but but each time he told them was Can I Can I tell my favorite? Tell your favorite. Since
1: we're on Mage, and I'm sure you've heard it a million times, and Tom, you have too. But again, Mage is this little guy. He was five foot, what, four? Five <laughs> foot five, right? And he was, uh, for the Wiz Kids, again, he was a coach. And uh, Mad Monk was a guy named Russ, Russ Meyer, right? Mad Monk. And Mad Monk was a six foot four big guy. Well, he was getting bombed. He's getting rocked on the mound, and so was Eddie Sawyer was the manager, right? Yep. So Eddie Sawyer didn't want to take him out. He's so disgusted with Mad Monk, and he looks yeah. down the he looks down the dugout, sees Mage, goes, "Mage, go take this guy out. I can't, I can't take this anymore. Go." So Mage had never gone out to the mound before. And now you got this this huge guy. He's got to tell him to give him the ball, right? So Mage gets out there. He musters up all his courage and he gets out there. He goes, "Monk." Give me the ball, and Monk says, "I'll tell you where you can put that ball." And Monk said, or uh, Mage said, "Well, it's a lot safer <laughs> where you've been putting it."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Only Mage get away with that.
2: All right. he got him out. <laughs> hey,
0: uh, you know what? We want to. Uh, you know, we had Chrissy Long in uh, a couple weeks ago as one of our guests, Mike, and uh, we were talking about some of the early promotions. I know you had a hand in a lot of that stuff. So why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, first question is going to be Carl Walenda and Benny the Bomb. Your impression. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Celebrate 90s style and music at the Phillies' 1990s Retro Night. Wear your shoulder pads and skinny ties and take lots of selfies Friday, June 8th at 7.05 against the Brewers. Tickets and more info at phillies.com. And we're back. Phillies backstage we have Mike DiMusio who is director of ballpark operations and anything that goes on at this facility and back at the vet Mike uh, has got a hand in and so tell us your impressions first of all of Carl Walenda the great Walenda I know if you talked to Chrissy and I know Bill Giles has certainly been on record uh, countless times saying the greatest thing he's ever saw was Carl Walenda walking on a tightrope at the vet and I know you basically had his life in your hands right?
2: Um, Carwell then (laughs) asked for help, obviously, in putting up his high wire. Uh, It wasn't simple. They basically laid it across the field, and we got up and tied it off on the left field side and then got up on the right field side of the um, roof and literally yanked it up in the morning, pulled it up and... Everybody, so what, you guys one, two, did three. that. He didn't have his own people doing that. Uh, Carl came in with it was himself and one or two family members. That was it. So it was all hands on deck. Whoever would go up there. So, and the first time he did it, it was raining in the morning. Uh, it was a nice mess, kind of like yesterday. And because uh, Carl, I remember Carl even saying that once the wire was up, okay, now I need you to go out and dry it because I'm not walking out on the wet cable. Uh, so and, and the cable wasn't hung straight across. It had about a 20 or 30 foot dip in it. So when Carl walked, he uh, you know grabbed a pole and started technically downhill till he got over second base. He did a headstand over second base. Um, and then it was uphill to the end to the left field side, and then he had a uh, again a few, Beverages waiting for him. Waiting for him uh, at the other side. Because I remember beautiful. mentioning to him that if I'm <laughs> doing that, the beverage is on the front side, not on the back side, because I'd have to be half intoxicated to try to walk Well, Were out you
1: nervous? Because you're the one who put together the wire. Like, weren't you as nervous as he
2: was? Or probably more nervous than he was? Well, I, I was scared looking at the thickness of the wire, which was a very thin wire. And uh, But it was something that he had done, you know, all his life. And if he was comfortable doing it, you know, who am I to say no? Yep. So who am I to say no? So I, uh, uh, you know, I said, what do you need me to do? And he, uh, he grabbed the ushers and the ground crew, uh, and they were down on the field with the guide wires. So normally in a high-wire walk, they would tie the cable off to keep it taut so it wouldn't swing side to side. At the vet, we didn't have the ability to do that on the field, so he used people. And I remember his first walk, he came out about 60 or 70 yards, and he's sitting over about section 201, and he literally sits down on the cable and starts directing people, you need to go back, you need to go to the left, you need to go to the right, getting them to pull this wire tight because it was swaying a little bit. And it was... The damnest thing I had ever seen, <laughs> and there's and no net, no net. And
1: there's no lawyer, obviously, anywhere <laughs> right, right. No lawyer. around the Phillies organization. Just uh, no. Mr.
2: And Giles was, on his I knees, mean, praying. Goes, to God. God, you know, we did it in. Uh, I believe it was the middle of a doubleheader with the Montreal Expos at one time. He did the walk twice. He did it twice, right? Um, you know, and you know that God forbid if something happens, you know what's. Yeah, there's no game play. There's no game two. Yeah, there's no game two. So, uh, fortunately for him at the time, he made that walk and then made a second walk. And uh, again, as Bill said, probably the greatest feat ever. We've done a lot of them, but. That was probably the greatest.
0: And then, you know, uh, I mentioned Benny the Bomb before the break. I mean, did did you have any interaction with him, or were you a part of putting that box together? If, if You know, and explain well, the well, whole thing, Explain routine. Benny the Bomb for right. those that don't know.
2: Benny, yeah. Benny Koski, the human bomb, used to come out, and, um, yeah, the ground crew had to help set it up, and we'd take the bomb out on a, believe it or not, on an aluminum flatbed and, you know, used to roll it out, and Benny would literally put himself in this box, and he'd, put some explosives in the box, and he would close the lid, and Dan Baker would give his countdown, and Benny would be in his evil Knievel suit. He'd have the white one-piece suit on with the helmet, and when the countdown got, count got to zero, the box blew up. And Benny would lay there for a while and come out limping out. Yeah, and very dramatic. And it was
1: right out of Roadrunner. Right? Like and, he got and, smoke and, coming out <laughs> of him. He's staggering. And there, was,
2: and there were pieces of the box... All over the field, depending on which way the wind blew, they it never stayed in the area where it was, so we spent about twenty minutes cleaning, cleaning up, up while Benny was limping around the field <laughs> and then walking off the field and and again what somebody does to say, you know what? I think I'm going to blow myself up. that <laughs> For a act. living. I don't <laughs> know where that came, but he, and he would do it on a daily basis. I mean, he was at the vet one day and he was somewhere else the next day. Blowing and I told Mike yesterday,
1: I said, I took him around to radio stations to promote Benny the bomb. And I guess the elevator was out wherever we were. We had to walk up three flights of stairs. He said, I, I don't really want to do this. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm scared of heights. I'm like, wait <laughs> a minute. You're scared. You're about to blow yourself up in a
0: box. Here's my question. Did he have any hearing left at nice. the end of the, at the... Because, I mean, doesn't that mess with your ears if you're going to be blowing yourself up every night at a different ballpark? Or? If, if and where I was Rick Strauss? <laughs> where was our lawyer? Where's if lawyer?
2: I would have known... How many times he did it, I would have bought stock and cotton balls because he had more cotton stuffed inside in his helmet ears? than his ears. It is, it, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Now, wasn't there – you also were involved in a slide, of, slide for life?
2: Yeah, there was a slide for life. It was another high-wire act with the Lemoines. Um, the Lemoines also taught me how to drink bourbon <laughs> because the first time the Lemoines came in for opening day, we were rained out three uh, – I believe two times. They were there here for four days – uh, through three-fifths of bourbon, bourbon and Coke, and bourbon and ginger ale. So um, I have to give credit to them for that because my thought was if they could drink it and do acts on a high wire, I should be able to drink it and walk Absolutely. on the ground. Absolutely. And, and you, so,
0: you were actually up there uh, on the catwalk at the vet with the, the female performer. Yeah. Right?
2: her One of her first performances was she would do this slide for life where she would hang upside down from the cable and... Um, again they came with very few family members it was john and his son john and michelle the uh, daughter in law and she would put her foot in the harness upside down and i got to hold her until dan baker again counted down to zero and let her go so i felt like i was part of a circus act absolutely next time they came down they did they a uh a motorcycle act where they yeah. went from the Phillies dugout in right field on the first base side up to the roof on in right field. Uh, again, helped put the wire up, put the A-frame up, and everything they did. And then they asked me if I wanted to sit on the har- on the um, on the harness and go up underneath the motorcycle. And I said, "Yeah, let's just go up about 20 feet. I just want right, to feel right. like." And I got on it, strapped my hands in, and John started the motorcycle and didn't stop till he got about 12 feet from Section 701. You went that high up? Was, and then shut the motorcycle well, up. Were you absolutely petrified? Um, I was glad. Let's just say I'm glad I wasn't wearing white pants. <laughs> right, right. Um, and just looking down during batting practice and players looking up at me like, are you crazy? And I wasn't until I sat down on the trapeze and they took the motorcycle up um but and and I'm not a guy who does rides I don't do roller coasters I don't do first wheels I don't do any of that however it was so exciting that um, when they came in a second time to do it, I asked to go back up again. Yeah,
0: you did. And I remember it, Mike, because it was uh, for the Fanatic birthday party. And they actually put the Fanatic in that trapeze that dangled under the uh, under the motorcycle. Right. And so we had Dave Raven in a few weeks ago. forgot to ask him about that one, but that, that was a little hairy. Yeah,
2: unfortunately, I was one of the guys that was trying to help stop the Fanatic when he rolled backwards oh, right. coming down. Because he did a slide for life yes. off of the yeah, – yeah. and Dave knocked me off the ladder, so I wasn't <laughs> wasn't so coordinated in trying to save Dave uh-huh. or save the fanatic. And, uh, but yeah, there's been some pretty good acts. Uh, Bill did a great job at getting mm. that entertainment for the people. Mm. So, uh, the other thing you
1: obviously, we, we said you wear multi hats. So one of the hats is security. So obviously when you have security, we're going to have a lot of different celebrities, whether it's politicians, whether it's actors, whether it's, you know, and I know you've been personally involved. I, I think you had a run in with a, with a, a standing president, right? Standing president, I should say. Well, um, Or was he a former president at that point?
2: No, he was. Uh, uh, president Clinton came to the ballpark during the um, Army-Navy game. Okay. And the Phillies personnel were very involved with uh, Army-Navy because we used to do. Um, uh, we used to bring all of our employees in for, for all the outside events. So uh, we kind of handled a lot of that. Not all of our employees, but a lot of them. Uh, and got to meet deal with the secret service who came in and which way they were going to bring the president in and they never ever ever you can deal with them every day and they can decide on a route that they're going to take and they never take that route and you Mm -hmm. walk it over and over and over and over again and you do alternate routes and you go different ways and come the time when the president comes in you may end up doing something that you never even did you don't they don't come in the way they say they are and it is so secretive and you make so many plans and all that are needed uh, but then got to personally meet him and you know shake his hand and get a photo with him and uh, you know again another celebrity so to speak that you know people would you know, is that
1: the same way with Vice President Biden? Because obviously he's a Delaware native and big Phillies fan, and he used to come to games all the time.
2: Yeah, Biden uh, is a little special. I'm a Delaware guy myself now, so um, I've gotten to meet the Vice President at at other functions in Delaware. Um, so, and again, when he came in, it's he's as personal as as you know he's a Delaware resident and he wants to talk about basketball in Delaware mm-hmm. and things that happen in Delaware and, uh, again, just a down-to-earth guy who's as obviously second in charge of the country and, uh, you know, great, um, yeah. you know, great person.
0: Yep. But it throws a little bit of a wrench into the uh, in, into the uh, the day when you know a VIP at that, uh, you know, that level is coming in. Yeah. We, we got to uh, also ask before we get into the quiz, you know, part of your job, I know, is the the whole weather thing? You know, you you always have uh, you know uh, a say in that because um, you know the field conditions, the weather, and uh, I got to tell you, last Friday I went to the Schuylkill Center for Environmental Education, and uh, I was uh, honored to be there. They were honoring the Phillies for over 40 years of an association with the Schuylkill Center in Roxborough. I was at David Montgomery, Bill Giles, Mike Harris. And uh, we were talking about the old days when Dick James, uh, who was very involved with the Schuylkill Center, uh, was basically our own personal weather guy. And it's pretty funny. You know, he, he had equipment at the Schuylkill Center that had a radar that was a little bit more sophisticated and could center it in on South Philadelphia. And David Montgomery would often uh, call da- uh, Rick, Jim, uh, Dad, Dick James, uh, Dick James uh, to get, you know, the, the weather forecast. How much has it changed now in that... Everybody in the ballpark basically is now a weatherman because they everybody's got a different weather app. You're still m- very much involved in that process, aren't you?
2: Uh, yeah, we always used to get good weather reports for Dick James, and then I found out that we were the ones who purchased the equipment for Dick James. So <laughs> okay. he wasn't going to give us bad weather reports regardless of whether it was raining or not. <laughs> uh, now, as you said, everybody has an app on their phone. MLB recommends a, a site that you use. We have two weather vanes here at the ballpark. Um, And it's almost like call the guy for weather, and if he gives you a bad report, then call somebody else. And if they give you a bad report, just keep calling around until you you get get that so-called window (laughs) and you can play. But it it is amazing now. You know, they can pinpoint where the storm's going to be. There's been times where we've had a clear here and, you know, Argon Avenue, it's been raining. Well, explain the process, Mike. As people always say, it doesn't rain at the airport, you know, Mm -hmm. and I always say, well, we should have built the ballpark at the airport, and we'd be fine. Uh,
1: Ex- explain the process. So let's say there's uh, – now, today's obviously gorgeous day. But let's say last week when we had bad weather, you know you know, at 10 in the morning there's going to be bad weather. We have a 7 o'clock game. Talk, walk, walk the listeners through, like, what, your interaction with the umpires, interaction with ownership, and inter- interaction with the other team.
2: Well, there, there's a, a whole number of scenarios or, or, or things that warrant whether you're going to play the game or try to play the game or call the game. It's not just – Hey, is it going to rain at 7.05 and are we going to be able to play? You have to take into account people who are coming from hours away, Um, you know, whether they're going to start their trip to come down. It could be raining way out in Allentown and Harrisburg, and you have to realize those people are coming. You have food that you have to start preparing in the ballpark for the people that are going to be here at a certain time. Um, So you start looking early in the morning. We usually get our first weather report about 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and it tells us what's going to happen during the day, and then we'll constantly call. Uh, I'll call our, our, the guys that we really deal with uh, on a constant basis during the day. Uh, and then again, you got ticket sales people, you have uh, PR people, you have the visiting team, obviously. Whether it's a getaway day where they have to get out, you have to talk to MLB about if you do get rained out, what the makeup day is going to be, and there's certain rules for when you can and can't play a makeup game. and whether it's a consecutive day streak for teams, your own team. So you have to get with the team reps. You have to get with the umpires because if you're going to stay over and play the next day, the umpires may be already scheduled to go to another city. So that's why you have to be in constant contact. So it's a huge uh, undertaking in terms of the numbers of people you have to deal with. I just try to keep everybody in the ballpark informed. But in the end, we're dealing with weather. And whether I say it's going to rain at 7 o'clock or it's not going to rain, I could tell you it's not. And it could be pouring out. And I just say, I'm sorry, but it's weather. <laughs>
0: That's right. Mother Nature just took over. Can I, I? This You just opened the door to tell one of my favorite memories of the 2008 World Series. Game five, we're at home. The weather is happening. If you remember, uh, you know it started raining whenever it did. It was basically unplayable on the field, um, and of course, just we wound up finishing the game two days later, starting in the seventh inning. But my memory of that is I'm with the fanatic in the we're ready to go out and shoot T-shirts to the crowd in the fifth inning. And uh, I come down. Now, it, there's a dirt room that the ground crew uses uh, down there, and there is a very sophisticated-looking piece of equipment that it tracks weather. And I go down there with the Fanatic, and the next thing you know, it's Bud Selig, his right-hand man, who I don't know who that man was, uh, Mike Buckholder, who's our uh, uh, groundskeeper, groundskeeper yeah. uh, head groundskeeper. And uh, the Philly Fanatic all circled around this piece of equipment (laughs) looking at the radar. And, you know, some big decisions have to be made at this point. What do you remember from that game?
2: Uh, I remember Bud Selig not being in the best of moods. uh, And he ended up doing something that had never been done before. And he just stopped the game and we will pick it up where it is, um, you know, two days later. And, And there were rules that... It was kind of like they made up because made it was it a World Series. Do you uh, think and I that was the just, right call? And I guess he just figured if yeah. the weather's too wet for the Fanatic to go out, then we're not going to play baseball. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just
0: wish. I wish, I there, was wish was there was a, a camera. That would have been great. Uh, it was the f- I'm tell- I looked around I'm like this is really, if somebody took a picture of this, it really looked funny. But do you think he made the right call there?
2: Uh, the fact that we won the World Series? Absolutely, <laughs> exactly. yes. And how cool
0: was it? I, I don't think it gets enough play that it really was one of the most unique situations ever in the history of World Series. And then, of course, you know, as a Philadelphia fan, I mean, everybody remembers that. Those last three innings, they were the most exciting three innings that maybe the city's ever seen. And it was just so cool how it played out. But I remember at the time, boy, when he called that, I think that people didn't know how to feel. Right. And, and
2: it was, again, it was one of those situations where people kept asking – believe it or not, you get this a thousand times on days like that. When's it going to stop raining? And you can only, I guess, take that so many times. And that's why I said it. it, Bud wasn't in the best of moods that day. Um, And... Fortunately for Philadelphia, it worked that well.
0: Right on. All right, John, are you ready for this? I'm ready. I don't know if Mike's ready. I, I don't know if you're ready. You, you haven't oh, gotten this right yet. I really? know.
2: Well,
1: I'll, I'll mess up. It's part of the. It's part of the plan.
0: This is now. If, if you're a, a longtime listener of our show, that's only been on for six weeks. Uh, <laughs> Long you know time. That John uh, administers the Phillies backstage challenge. Yes. And what I
1: usually do, Mike, is I find an area of expertise of of somebody. Or I'll just make it up. But like in Frank Kopenbarger's case, who's a traveling secretary, I gave him state capitals because I didn't really know what else. You know, I wasn't going to do Marriott trivia. Um, but I, I can
2: tell you I'm not an expert in anything. Well, I know I think, a little bit about a lot. I, think I don't you know are a lot about Because
1: anything. I have the quiz for you that I spent uh, a good ten minutes on last night uh, during the game. Uh, for You are a basketball referee. You are a NCAA, right? A college basketball
2: referee and a high school referee? I'm a high school referee. High school referee. And referee. I do some women college during the summer yes
1: all right now this is again my uh quiz so there's gonna be some flubs here but i'm assuming this is just a general i don't know if this is ncaa or whether it's high school so just bear with me okay ready oh, question gosh. number one i'll make it up anyway question number one what is the consequence of breaking the backboard is it a player gets ejected b technical foul c player gets fined d uh, foul but basketball doesn't count no foul but basketball doesn't count
2: um, first of all, I do high school games, so yeah, that, no that's not going to happen. That? I don't have to worry about that one. But you you would say, what would you say? If well, you you're did? not going to play the game, and I, again, I... So would you say? It's not in our high school rule book about a broken back boy, right. so I'm not dealing with Tom, it. Would you like, Tom, would like to as a great an official, start. And as an official, <laughs> you don't make, you just go along with what you have. You don't say anything you're not supposed to say.
1: Tom, what are you going to, technical foul? You'll go technical foul. Technical and you, foul, you are sure.
2: one for one. All right. all
1: right. How long does a player have to shoot a free throw? Is it? 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, no time limit.
2: 10 seconds Ten from when they're administered the ball.
1: Bam, right there. there Look, go, at that, Look at Tom. How that, Tom. about You see that? All right. What happens when a player sets a screen out of bounds? Is it A, turnover and a personal foul, B, personal foul but not a turnover, C, a turnover but not a personal foul, or D, the
2: player gets fined? No, the player can't go off the court. If the player intentionally goes off the court, it's a technical foul, whether they're setting a screen or not. A player is not supposed to go off the court to make a play. <laughs> I've got a turnover, but not a personal foul.
1: But I'll give it to you anyway. why? <laughs> why, wait, why, why would God. you
2: set a screen out of bounds? I don't know. It's a turnover. I can tell so you. say a, it's a turnover. I can tell you if a player <laughs> intentionally in high school runs out of bounds yeah. under the backboard. The other team gets the ball. To to get around the screen. Yeah. He's using the outside of the court. It's a violation, and the ball goes the other right.
1: way. So it's a turnover. So you were right. You got it right there. All right, You're ready? not
2: setting a screen out of bounds. You're setting the screen in bounds. The player is running out of bounds. The right, question is wrong. We're
1: gonna have a real, of course it is. We're going to have a real problem on the fifth question, because <laughs> the fourth question is when when it, what happens when a team only has five players left and one of them fouls out?
2: They play with four. And if the fourth one fouls out you play with three, You can play with two, and if the referee deems that the player has a chance by him or herself to continue the game, you can play with one.
1: Well... (laughs) I'll we'll just say that's correct. <laughs> <And> what? <number. laughs> this one did not say. This
2: said This I, said I knew this said butchered nothing. That I player can
1: stay in the game cuz you have to play with
0: 5. So no, this you do is a, not. this is a bad
2: website right here. You cannot right. start the game with 5. I'm with less than 5, but you can play the game with less. What than kind of five? game
0: would that be by the way? It's like the broad street bullies, you know. They'd go out there and be like 5 on 2 cuz like you got yeah. three guys in a box, right. you know, 10 guys in a box.
1: But if it's Le- LeBron versus uh right. <laughs> versus five guys, He's got he chance. might be able to win. All right, the last question which is just this is just going to be causing all kinds of headaches. What's <laughs> what's the highest number of points a team can score on a single possession? Is it uh, four points, five points, six points, or infinity points on a single possession? <laughs> This is going to have trouble. John had with, with this earlier before the you show. You can and go
2: in an infinite amount. If you, you are correct. If you consider a possession to be a shot and a foul, and then yeah. miss the foul shot and get the rebound yeah. and okay. shot and a foul, and you can continue doing that. Mike,
1: you are, you are correct because if it, it says here, according to this website, that I'm not going to even divulge because it got me in trouble once again. If a player shoots a three and gets fouled uh, to get four points, if a, if a flagrant foul, they get the ball back. So you can keep the possession doesn't end until the other team gets the ball. So if you keep doing flagrant fouls or you keep getting the rebounds, I guess, then Then you can it could be infinity. Correct. And with that, Mike,
0: did he get four or five? Yes,
1: he got four to five. Might even gotten five for five. Five Did he get the John Cruck pullover that we're giving out? John Cruck
2: pullover (laughs) that we're giving away on
0: Sunday, June tenth. Anything but John Crucking
2: over. I I could probably pull it over my car.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my! Well, on that note, you know what? We're gonna uh, say goodbye, Mike. Thank you very much for being our guest today, Uh, John. It's always a pleasure. Rob Brooks, thanks for pushing all the the right buttons back there. I appreciate it. And
1: I didn't even get to the point, too, Tom, that, you know, I have to on the record, that your best friend made an error on Dallas Goder's first pitch. I didn't get to tell you that. Sorry to end on that note, but there was an
0: error out there. Yeah, come on. We had such a good time, and then you're going to bust on the Fanatic for not (laughs) catching a first ball?
1: Well, everyone saw it, because on TV, he did run over the—didn't the Fanatic run over his glove?
0: Yeah, and then he proceeded to try to resuscitate the glove, because he felt bad. He just killed it, and uh, it didn't work, and then he buried it, and— So the Fanatic has a new glove now. New glove, yeah. That glove uh, was not working for the Fanatic thanks for bringing that up, Jeff. Uh, that's it for here uh, from here, everybody. Another edition of Philly's Backstage in the Books. Thanks again, guys, and we'll see you at the ballpark.
2: Backstage.